Hi, I'm Anna McEwen, and this is The Epic Narrative. And now, my dad, Bob Switzer. Well, now, good morning, everyone. If it's morning for you, anyways. If it's not, good day. Good day to you all. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's a nervous day for me because I... Uh, I somehow updated. Uh, <laughs> I somehow updated stuff on my computer, and I get so nervous when that happens because I don't know what happens. Actually, what happened was I changed my password, and in doing so, I clicked something and it restored back to something, and or or gave me new so I don't know what it did but man I was nervous. I get so nervous around technology because because even because just because I think it's just a habit. Uh because I know deep down there's nothing that's really lost forever and like my producer is an amazing man and he understands all that and it's kind of like I know in the end, if I give him my passwords, he can literally find my entire life somewhere on the web because anything that's deleted is never actually deleted, right? So many in celebrities and politicians have figured that out, or at least they should have by now. But anyways, I get nervous every time, and I updated my password because I forgot the last one, and (laughs) my wife's like, did you write it down? Well... No, I didn't think I'd forget it. Like I, I, I use a password that I can remember, except for now when I can't remember. Anyway, hopefully this is working, and it looks like it is, because that was one of the things that updated was the uh, voice recorder that I use, the app that I use, and it pretty much like wiped out all my files, which made me incredibly nervous. Even though I've backed them up on two other drives. I just was like, they're all gone. They're all gone. What happened? And uh, so I called my producer, Brian, and he's like, Bob, don't worry about it. Everything's fine. I can find him on the drive. You're okay. Just, it just reset. Just start recording again. So here I am taking his advice because he knows way better than I do. And here I am recording again. So. Uh, 2 Samuel 22 is a psalm or a song that David wrote and he sang. And it, it says it, yeah, that he wrote this when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Now, remember, these are, these are, these are words written by an artist and they are words that are from a perspective, like from from his perspective. And this is this is true um this is true with a lot of what I would call worship songs and honestly a lot of the voca- vocabulary that we have when it comes to when it comes to God and his presence and his 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 location <laughs> I guess right we we write things and we sing things and we preach things and we talk about things as though God comes and goes as though he arrives and disappears as though he has been distant 
and kind of observing for a while, and now he's going to get super involved in whatever it is that we're involved in. Or we approach life in circumstances as though I'm going to do this without God. I'm going to do this one on my own. I'm going to uh, get away with this because I didn't invite God to be a part of this. And even though he may be off there somewhere and he might eventually find out about it, he's clearly not involved in my everyday life. And those are that's kind of the way that we, we position God in our minds because it's really difficult for us to live with a perspective that God never leaves us and he never forsakes us. And there's nothing we can do to make him leave. And there's no way for him, nowhere for him to go because he literally dwells within us. And I know that there's there's some, you know, some of some of you theologically are going, but David didn't have that because he didn't have Holy Spirit. But David was aware of the presence of God, that it was always present, which is why he set up the 24-7 worship, because he wanted to represent the presence of God in its in the way that it actually exists, because I believe David understood it. David had been interactive with, with God from the days that he was a shepherd. I think David uh, mystically, mysteriously, mystically uh, visited heaven. I think he understood the, the, the worship and the admiration and the holiness that the angels Pour, pour out on on God and in, in, in his throne. I just think he understood the atmosphere of heaven. And that's why he set up that that worship, worship tent, the tabernacle. That's why he was so passionate to get it right. That's why when he left Jerusalem, he didn't want the ark to come with him because he didn't want people to think that God had left the city, that God had left them. Because visually, he wanted people to know God is always there. He's always there. He's always there. And he had the priest take the ark back. So many times. Because we, <laughs> I, uh, I should say our, our, we, our awareness, we have an awareness that grows. Our awareness of God's presence is what we actually are experiencing, not the arrival of God's presence, not the arrival of his spirit, not the arrival of his words or his wisdom. It's always there. And our awareness of him is what gets hindered by our choices and by the things that we focus on. Sometimes people, uh, you know, you'll meet somebody and you'll say, wow, they just seem so aware of God. You know, God just, they just, they're all, you know, God's, they, whatever. Like, it's clear that they're different than you, right? And you think they must, they must be so close to God as though, again, the vocabulary, and I'm not, I'm not saying this vocabulary is evil. I'm not. Please don't take this the wrong way. I'm just saying that we often use a vocabulary that that makes the truth of God's presence seem not true. And we'll say, like, I I draw close to him. I spend time and, you know, and I get closer to him as though he's stationary and we're coming toward him. Or we say, again, we make up, we, we use vocabulary that makes it sounds like, sound like he arrived, he he came close to me. He showed up in my in my room. He, you know, while I was singing, I felt him. I felt him, as though he wasn't there before. It's 
it's really, that's really not it. It's really not. And so I say all of that to get into this, this psalm, which again is an artistic view, and it is something that David is so good at expressing, and it's a song that I think he wrote and sang many times. I don't, I don't think the psalms were a one-off, uh, one-hit wonder. I think that they were, they were written, and they were sung, and they were rehearsed, and they were sung again. And people, it just just like today, like people just attached their circumstances to the words that they're singing, and that psalm meant a lot to them. And they would rehearse it over and over again. And at different times in their life, they might sing it or say it to somebody else who's going through something. They'd be like, oh, you remember this song? You remember these words? And I think David felt that. That's why, uh, you know, the, the first verse there is like, when the Lord delivered him from all his enemies <laughs> and from the end of Saul. So it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's a lyric that brings life in reminders of the truth of God's presence and God's power and God's love and God's sustaining a life-giving presence, but it also carries with it vocabulary that makes it sound as though God showed up, God arrived, God did something special for me. But that's the way that we experience the all-present God, the always-present God. All right. So it starts out with this. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. My my God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield. And the horn of my salvation, he is my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior from violent people. You save me. Now, there's a lot of, you, you probably heard that and thought, wow, man, there's a lot of like camp songs about this verse. There's a lot of worship songs. Absolutely. You're going to hear themes in this psalm that mean a lot to a lot of people. Because all of us have been delivered from enemies. All of us have been delivered from ba- uh, negative circumstances, bad people, bad relationships. We've all been there. And and here we see the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, right? There's a very personal God here. There's a very personal connection for David. It doesn't mean that he's not somebody else's rock and fortress and deliverer. It just means this is a personal expression this is uh, uh, of an artist who's writing a lyric that is true for him it doesn't mean that God's separate from other people or that he showed up just for David he showed up all the time because he's always there it doesn't mean that David didn't do anything when it says my refuge my savior from violent people you save me we we know for a fact David David went into a battle he did work. He had to swing a sword. He had to sling a sling, swing a sling. He had to throw a rock really fast. He threw spears. He shot arrows. He rode into battle. He ran into battle. He did the work necessary to get a victory. But when he's all done, he looks to God as the source of that victory. And sometimes we can read this and be like, well, this is the, you know, this is, this is the word of God. Like he's my stronghold. I just sit here. So we have to, you know, again, just, just, uh, I'm sure I'll say it many more times. So why don't you just read more of this, Bob, or it will take you four days to get through the entire song. All right. 
Thank you, Mr. Engineer. I appreciate the reminder. So we'll go to the next verse. Verse 4, I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. The waves of death swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me, and the snares of death confronted me. Man, honestly, this is beautiful. I love this the, the drama of this verse. It is awesome. I mean, oh. The waves of death swirled about me. I mean, just just if you've ever been to the ocean, not that the ocean waves cause death, although I know technically they can cause death. You have to be careful when you're in the ocean because of undertoes and, and drowning and all that sort of thing. But generally speaking, they don't cause death. But you understand what it's like when you're out there and the waves are are sloshing you around and and you get the sense sometimes even when you're playful, you think, wow, whoa, like this, that was powerful. Like that one, that one caught me by surprise. Wow, almost drowned. Yeah. David writes that. I just, I just love it. The torrents of destruction overwhelm me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. Of course, snares are, are, in essence, traps, right? That were set up in the along, usually along the paths of that animals take. Sometimes you can bait a, a snare so that the animal will come off path. But I've, you know, I, you've probably seen shows as well, documentaries or or shows that um, that show are you know hunters that just set up a snare, just a wire snare along a rabbit trail, and a, and a rabbit just runs right through it and gets caught. And they have rabbit stew for dinner. That's, you know, the, the, the snares of death are right there. They're all along the pathway that you take. The cords of the grave coil around me, trying to pull you into an early death. Why? Because death is of the enemy. They, the waves of death swirl. The torrents of destruction. Man, it's just, David's just in the middle of life here. Bad circumstances is what he's describing. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the heavens shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and he came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him. The dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, the bolts of lightning blazed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. His voice of the most high resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemies. He had great bolts of lightning. He routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed. The foundations of the earth laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord at the blast of the breath from his nostrils. Sweet Jesus, that was fun. Woo! <laughs> you can't like I I don't know I can't read this without getting dramatic. It's so beautiful and artistic. I mean I just oh man what a song this must have been. I just picture so much percussion. I absolutely love percussion. As a lot of you know because it is my my theme song 
for this for the epic narrative, right? <laughs> like literally. <laughs> it was like, what kind of song do you want, Bob? I just want drums. That's it. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, sorry. Back to the drama. Listen to the drama. Woo! But again, what's the vocabulary look like? Well, it looks like David does the right thing. He calls to the Lord. God's hanging out in his temple, right? He's just like chilling like a God should be up on a big big throne. Lots of pillars all around him. I mean, this would have been visually very simple. Like he would have known what this is, right? He had seen many temples in his life. He had seen many idols in his life. He knows what these temples look like. They're, some of them are glorious, depending on the wealth of the nation that worships that particular uh, idol. So David's like, God, like he's describing God's temple as this, well, actually he doesn't describe the temple, but he gives a picture of God in this heavenly temple. And when, and when God hears the cry of David, he shows up. <laughs> and I mean, it's so dramatic. The earth trembled. The foundations of heaven shook because he was angry. Wow, like the intensity of the emotion of God. The foundations of heaven. Holy smokes, that sounds like intense. It's more than just an earthquake. Even the even the like even the sky is trembling. Smoke rose from it. Now honestly, this is this is pretty intense. Like, like he's he's describing God. It's almost like he's part dragon, and part you know uh, he's uh, he wouldn't have been aware of um, of Apollo, but but maybe right. <laughs> I don't know. Smoke rose from his, his nostrils, consuming fire came from his mouth, burning coals blazed out of it. That's that's fire-breathing dragon right there, right? He parted the heavens. He came down dark clouds under his feet. I mean, if this doesn't sound like Zeus or Apollo coming down from heaven, like I don't know what does. Like this is this is a these these sort of symbols, these have been a part of our of anthropology for for years the idea of a god riding dark clouds into into battle or into your world showing up on your behalf but that's not what god does and david knows that but this is the way you experience god when he shows up you 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 want this kind of 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 picture in your mind like this is who you're summoning this is who you're you is this is who is on your side it's comforting to think of God this way. It's comforting to call call him these things. It's comforting to sing to him about these sort of things with the drums pounding and the and the horns blowing. Like this is this whole crescendo of his arrival is awesome. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily true. He doesn't do this. He doesn't show up like this every time you call on him because he's already in you. But this is the God that's in you. This is the God's presence that's around you. It is full of power. It is full of of, of fire breathing. <laughs> I know, Bob, you just you spent all these episodes talking about the fact that he's not a God of wrath. And then you get all excited by this description. And it's true because I love art and I love music 
And I love the, the, the artistic way that you can describe the power and authority of God. And what does love look like? Love, love is the fire of God. I, I know I covered it probably a year ago if we're doing these once a, once a week, which I think we are. I don't know because we don't even know yet because they haven't even launched. But, but the wrath of God, the fire of God is the love of God. And to something that isn't love, it seems very negative. Light seems very negative to darkness because it moves it. It shoves it out of the way. You're better off for it, but in the moment it feels it feels aggressive. <laughs> aggressive. That's a good word for wrath, Bob. Why? Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, came up with that myself. It feels aggressive. So David's describing a very aggressive, angry God who shows up from his temple in the heavens on dark clouds. He rises down. He's breathing fire out of his mouth, smokes coming out of his nostrils. This is, like I said, this is straight out of a dragon movie. Uh, he, he mounted the cherubim, which were huge angels, right? We often think of cherubs as he's artistically speaking, right? They're often these little baby angels. These are cherubim were huge angels, how would David know about these things? Because I think he's seen them. He knows what these things would look like when they show up. He made darkness his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. So there's he just, in this brightness, fire-breathing, smoke-billowing God, he's surrounded by dark clouds, which, of course, just emphasize the brightness of his arrival, and out of the brightness of his presence, bolts of lightning are blazing forth. Lord thundered from heaven. His voice of the Most High resounded. Arrows, he shot arrows, scatters the enemy. Great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed. That means that the waters parted, right? You don't see the valleys of the, of the sea without the water disappearing. So that's boiled and split. Foundations of the earth laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, of the blast of from of breath from his nostrils, which of course are hot coals and smoke. This is this is again a very comforting, a very uh, dramatic uh, picture of how David pictures the Lord showing up in battle. You would get the sense that maybe David didn't have to do any battles. All he had to do was call God who would, you know, way up there in his temple somewhere and God would show up and all the enemies would scatter. David's describing warfare from a, from a heavenly perspective of what God would, would was doing in his mind. The way he experienced it, the way he experienced the wave of aggression that occurred in battle. It was as though God showed up from the heavens in lightning strikes the enemy and shakes the earth and fire comes down and burns the enemy. It's it's awesome. This is an awesome picture of God. That's why I got excited when I read it. All right. He reached down from the high and took hold of me and he drew me out of the deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place he rescued me because he delighted in me. 
Now remember, early, right, first few verses, he talks about the fact that that he's surrounded, the waves of death surround him, the torrents of destruction. Again, that's the idea of water, uh, of a rushing waters and waterfalls, torrents, rapids, that sort of thing, overwhelmed you, overwhelmed him. So he talks about how God reaches down from on high. Again, that's the way he experienced God. It's not that God was up on high and needed to like reach down and be like, oh, dang it, where'd David go? <gasps> oh, he's drowning. No wonder he called out to me. Ah, I got to reach down and grab him. Bloop. Whoo! Uh, yeah, I'm an awesome God. I showed up for you. Um, you better worship me now, cause <laughs> I was up in my temple just relaxing and um, had no idea you were in trouble. Maybe you should call out to me a little sooner next time. Here, let me put you over here in this spacious place, so that no one, uh, that basically a place that you're alone, that there's no enemies anywhere within sight. I'll just put you over there, and just remember. I rescued you because, you know, I think you're awesome. <laughs> That's why. I'm going to go back to my temple now. That's not the way God is, but it is the way he's pictured here. Because that's the way you experience God many times. Because you're doing battle. You're surrounded by enemy. Your circumstances are negative. You don't think you can get out. Your finances are collapsing. Your relationships are collapsing. Your job is collapsing. You're not sure where to go. You've, you think you're drowning in deep waters. And so the rescuing of God out of the enemy, out of the enemy, from your powerful enemies, from your foes who are overwhelming you, too strong for you, who seem to show up when your days were getting worse, right? Then the enemy piles on. And, you know, more, more enemies show up when you're into, when you're having a disaster. And that's true with everyday life as well. Satan sees what you're going through. The enemy uh, of, of light sees what you're going through. Darkness sees what you're going through. And it doesn't just back away saying, well, they're having a bad day. I don't need to bother them. It piles on. The enemy always piles on. The enemy's not happy until you're dead. That's the, that's the passion of the enemy. That's the way that he operates. And David experiences that emotionally. And he paints a beautiful picture of how God comes in and he pulls you out. He rescues you from powerful enemies. And he puts you in a spacious place. He puts you in a place of peace, a place of comfort, a place of, of freedom. A lot of times these enemies that we're up against are enemies that we've brought in because of the lies that we believe. Because of the choices we made. We're reaping what we sow. We've given the enemy access to us through a variety of choices we made. And now we're overwhelmed by those choices. And and David's letting us know that the goodness of God is still there. The goodness of God hasn't left us. And it can, it can catapult you out of your circumstances into a place of peace. It can catapult you into a place where there are no enemies. It doesn't make what you went through something that God did to you in order to rescue you so that he looks like the good guy. He's letting you know this is, this is, a, this, you know, God is there. This is something God does. 
Now he, he continues, right? He says, the Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him. I have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanliness in his sight. Whoa, wait a minute, David. Whoa, 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 David. This, like... <laughs> this can't be true. We know enough about your life. They, 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 this isn't, no. Like, you you have a periodically turned away from the Lord's decrees. You uh, have periodically not kept yourself from sin. Um, what are you talking about in this, in this uh, little paragraph here? Again, this is, this is the way you experience God's forgiveness because God forgives absolutely. He restores your righteousness. He doesn't hold things against you. He doesn't pile on the guilt later on. He doesn't remind you of the ways that you failed. Literally, all of us can say this. When we've asked forgiveness from God, we allow his love to cleanse us then we we can we can say i am totally clean and all the good stuff that happens to us it it definitely feels like like what david describes here it feels as though because we're so clean the lord rewarded us because we're so righteous he showed up and took care of us because i'm so good he looked at me and said, "Wow, you're such a good boy. I'm going to I'm going to bless you." And that's the way it feels. It really does because the the forgiveness of God washes us clean. It it totally renews our spirit. It, it's it's an amazing position to be in. And when we have heaven's perspective on our life, we don't see the very things that we did in order to put ourselves in a place where we needed to ask for forgiveness. It's awesome. This is an awesome place to be. This is heaven's perspective. David had heaven's perspective on himself in this moment when he's writing. He's like, wow. And yes, it does. It, it can very, it can very much feel like we are rewarded for being good. But that's not the truth. The truth is God's goodness is always there and it's always available to us. And when we're walking with him, it just it just flows all the time. And we can look back at our life and think, "Oh, when I do good, I get I get good things. When I do bad, I get bad things." It must be God, and that's not how God operates. His goodness is always there. But we have the freedom to choose unrighteousness we have the freedom to choose sin we have the freedom to choose bondage and and wrap ourselves up into circumstances and relationships and commitments and investments that will ultimately cause us negative act uh, you know negative ramifications and god's like you're free to do that but my goodness is still here and when my goodness unwraps all this and your forgive and forgiveness releases you from all of this it's going to look like because you're clean, I took care of you. I, but, but that's not how it is. It's fine though. I like they, God totally understands what's going on here. He appreciates what David's doing here. David continues to be faith, 
To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. To the devious, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but the eyes are, are, are on the haughty to bring them down low. You, Lord, are my lamp. The Lord turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against the troop. With my God, I can scale the wall. So again, it looks like tit for tat here, right? It looks like God works out these little contracts with people. Like, what if you, well, if you do this, I'll do this. And if you do this, I'll do this. And if you do this, I'll do this. And if you're, if you're prideful, I will crush you. <laughs> he throws that in, right? You save the humble, but the eyes are, your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down low. And I know, you know, lots of preachers love those kind of verses because, man, you can preach against pride. You can, you can shame people for, for telling you how good they are or for boasting about things or for promoting their product. You can make them all feel bad for that if you, you know, if you take this one little verse out. And there's other verses that are similar. Because again, David's just writing a song. Does God show himself faithful? Absolutely. And when you're being faithful, what do you what do you represent? Well, you represent God's faithfulness. So it definitely feels like he's faithful to the faithful. When you're when you're walking with him and you're not you're not walking in sin, right? You're you're making good choices. You're you're walking in freedom. Absolutely. That's how you experience God all around you. Because that's who he is and he's within you. So to the pure, he's pure. You're awesome. But if you start to lie, if you start to show deception, the goodness of God is, and the relentlessness of God's love is, is always there. And in the end, it always wins. Love always wins. And you look back and you say, wow, like God is shrewd because he won't give up. He plays the long game. He doesn't, he doesn't just come in and, you know, and, and, and force you into believing in him, force you into receiving his goodness. But he will just, he he just keeps the love there. His presence stays right with you. And in the end, you're like, wow, he won. How did he do that? This is pretty awesome. And it's like, yeah, he is pretty awesome. The Lord turns my darkness into light. That is definitely what God does. You get so excited, you feel like you can leap tall buildings and scale the wall. <laughs> then in verse 31, as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a, a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights he trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You make your saving help. You make your saving help my shield. You, your help has made me great. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. This is just this is just the beauty of walking with God. It's just circumstances, circumstances never look bad when you're walking with God. Like your, God's perspective is always so full of hope and and so full of peace and so full of joy that you literally don't see anything bad around you. And that's what he's talking about. 
His way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. There's nothing like there's nothing that goes wrong when you're walking with God. Why? Because because he shields you. He's your strength. He gives your arm strength. He keeps your feet on the on the path. He he helps you overcome you know the enemy in battle. He basically he's constantly bringing you freedom, constantly bringing you hope, constantly bringing you joy. His shield is is awesome. Nothing gets to you. You're able to walk on the path as though it's as though it's wide. Your ankles don't give way. You you have no reason to trip up because everything is so clear. This is the way of God. This is the way of his perspective. You don't have any worries. Now, if you're not walking in God's perspective, the same path that you're walking on could seem like it's fraught with enemies and filled with, with rocks to trip on. And David describes that perspective as well. It's not that David doesn't, you know, that. well, sorry. It's not that God disappears and shows back up and sometimes David walks clearly and sometimes he doesn't. It's that David's perspective changes. But from David's perspective, when he's walking with God, he continues, I pursue my enemies and crush them. I did not turn my back until they were destroyed. I crushed them completely. They could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. You arm me with strength for battle. You humble my adversaries before me. You made my enemies turn their back and fight in flight. Sorry, I destroyed my foes. They cried for help, but there was no one there to save him to the Lord. But he did not answer. I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. I pounded and trampled them like mud in the streets. You have delivered me from the attacks of the peoples. You have preserved me from the head of the nations. People I did not know now serve me. Foreigners cower before me. As soon as they hear me, they obey me. They all lose heart. They come trembling from their strongholds. So this is, again, David looking at the way the the way... <laughs> He looks at these victories from God's perspective and the way that he experiences them. He's like, I, I, when I do this from you, when I, when I come into battle with the hope and the, and the, and the joy and the optimism and the peace of heaven, it's as though everything just flows. Now, does that mean David doesn't have to shoot arrows? No. Does that mean he didn't have to fight battles? Does that mean he didn't get bloody? Does that mean that the that the sieges on some of these cities didn't last for months or years before they actually got the victory? No, all of that is true. Circumstantially, that's true. But artistically, looking back from heaven's perspective, they won. He's like, we won. Now, it says they cried for help, but no one saved them. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer. That's kind of a rude uh, picture. Because that's not the way God operates. He doesn't play sides. There are options other than other than death. It's not that it's not that I'm saying that war should never happen and battles should never take place. And and but but from my perspective, there are many battles that take place that didn't need to. It needs to be done. From heaven's perspective, this is this is this is this is a tough verse, and I don't want to I don't want to shrink away from it. But it's it's there. From David's perspective, it looks like the enemy called out to God, and God didn't show up for him, them; He showed up for him. 
And the, and and definitely from David's perspective, that would that would definitely look true. It would look like God ignores people who cry to Him that He doesn't like. Oh, I don't like you, so I'm not listening to you. But that's not the way God is. And you could say, well, then what would have happened if the Philistines, you know, turned to God and called to Him? What would have happened? I I don't know. I just think there could have been another way. That's all. That's all. What if what if Saul had turned? Back to God. What if Saul had suddenly, not suddenly, but had, uh, you know, what if Saul had done the work internally and and overcame his self-rejection and and really stepped into the anointing that God had given him? What, what would have happened? I think Saul would have reigned for many, many years. That's what I think. And I think when he died, I think it would have got turned over to Jonathan and Jonathan would have probably turned it over to David because the commitments and the covenants that they had made would have been would they would have been faithful to because that's who God is. And I think if the Philistines had turned to God, I think I think other other things would have happened. I don't know what I don't know what history would look like, but this is what it looked like to David. It looked like his enemies called for help and the Lord didn't hear him. He's like, people I do not know serve me. Foreigners cower before me. As soon as they hear me, they obey me. They all lose heart. They come trembling from their strongholds. This is true in a lot of cases. David, all David had to do was send a threat of war to a nation or to a, to an, a, you know, a, a walled city. And rather than do battle with David, sorry, I just hit the mic. You might have heard a thump there. Uh, rather than do battle with David, they would just they would come out of their strongholds. They would open their gates. The the king or the leader, the mayor, governor, whatever, would walk out and they would surrender to David. They would they would cower before him. They would serve him. In other words, they would send him tribute or taxes. They would they would send him servants. They would uh, send him uh, portions of all of their uh, national product. All those things came about because from David, it's David's writing, like because of victory. And he's giving God credit for all that. And he's giving an artistic approach to the way that God brought these victories. And then he says, the Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. He is the God who avenges me. He puts the nations under me. He sets me free from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From a violent man, you rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you among the nations. I will sing the praises of your name. He gave the king, he gives his his king great victory. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Wow. That's intense. Now, again, we know this isn't always this. This wasn't fully true, right? From David, he he. <laughs> there were some of David's descendants made some choices where you could say the quote favor of God wasn't always on them. He didn't put every nation under. There were other enemies, but he killed. He, he, he took out a lot of them. You rescued me from Saul. You rescued me from my foes. I will praise you among the nations. I will sing of your name. Now he 
he is David is so aware of his anointing that he believe like he experiences or he believes himself to be God's anointed, like his favorite, his child, his son, his shepherd, his king, his father. Like David, when David is in this place of anointing where he is so confident in God's uh, position of presence, his position of being with him, that he just can't imagine anything that he's doing right now that isn't anointed of God, that isn't encouraged of God, that isn't favored by God. It's a it's an awesome position to be in. Now, was he always there? No. No, we know that that sometimes he just completely missed it. We can just go to the story of the ark, right? He didn't, he didn't read the books. He didn't understand how to move the ark. He moved it inappropriately, and the enemy used that opportunity to, to bring death to, a, to a, an innocent man. And David went immediately back to God and figured out what, what had happened. But David understands. He does understand his position. He knows, listen, everything I do is anointed of you. This is a great perspective to have for every everyone to understand yourself to be a child of God to see everything from a perspective that says all right this is this you know how, how does how does God look at this how does my dad look at this what is my dad going to do to come through for me even if my earthly father was a jerk or unavailable or non-existent or wasn't all that great at coming through maybe if he only provided but didn't provide much like, I don't know. There's lots of negative negative perspectives about a father that can make being a son of, of God or a child of God really difficult to imagine. But here's a beautiful picture of it. Everything David did, he believes, was because of who he was, whose he was. I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome. Now I'm I'm looking at the time. I think we'll yeah we'll we'll call it an end there. It's it's a great psalm. It's a great perspective. But again, I just want you to remember when you're when you're singing worship songs this Sunday, or when you're reading or listening to worship songs or reading psalms in the Bible. Remember that their their perspectives are often from earth to heaven rather than from heaven to earth. A lot of times they are perspectives that you feel to be true, but the reality is God's presence has never left. You don't have to call him down from the temple. He doesn't show up and give you the victory because you're just a super nice guy and he really delights in hanging out with you when he's not in his temple. It could feel that way and it could look that way, but the truth is he never leaves you or forsakes you. You are, you are his child. You are favored by him. He does come through for you. And he will continue to do so. Because he's awesome. And he thinks you're awesome. Because of whose you are. Alright. I'll see you next week or next time on the Epic Narrative. Have yourself a fabulous day, everybody. everyone thanks for listening if you like what you heard you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use you can also reach out to bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer 
at gmail.com. See you next week, guys. <laughs>